Well, it's good to be back together again this morning. Uh, welcome to City Branch. And again, my name is John. For those of you that I don't know, and it is good good to be with you. And uh, not many churches can say they have uh, umbrellas up in worship. I'm sure that's a first for many of you. That's exciting. A special welcome to friends and family that are here uh, today. And we pray that you just feel right at home if this is your first time and that you experience God uh, in a powerful way. Um, you know, there's, uh, there's lots of different ways that people celebrate the 4th of July weekend. Maybe some of you have some family traditions that you renewed this year, some things that you do. Um, but for some reason, I was thinking about this this week, for some reason, one of the most popular things to do, I think, and maybe this is just me and the people that I know, but one of the most popular things to do that commemorates, that celebrates the 4th of July, for some reason, has become blowing things up. Blowing things up and making very, very loud noises, creating loud explosions, using whatever you can to create those loud explosions. And maybe some of you heard that uh, this weekend around your house. And uh, so this is how we've decided we're going to celebrate our independence and our freedom as a nation, is by blowing things up. And, uh, you know, I'm not just talking about fireworks and those sorts of things, which are a little bit more controlled and big and nice, but I'm talking about um, some of those things that maybe some of you uh, possibly did as a kid, uh, some of those things you possibly still do, um, you know, lighting things on fire, and and that's always uh, exciting. And so, uh, for some reason, I remember uh, in my own experience, there was this one year where uh, some friends and I, it was kind of around the 4th of July time that weekend, and some friends and I were just hanging out. We were kind of having a camp out in the woods, and uh, we were probably late in high school, and uh, so we were having this camp out, and we'd run out of kind of the normal things to do on 4th of July. We had our cookout. We had a fire. It was kind of getting late at night. We used up all our sparklers and all the, the little snakes and worms and the things that crawl along the ground. You know what I'm talking about. So we've used up all those, and we're like, okay, We've got to end the night with a big finale. And so one of my friends had, had heard of this thing, and I'm not recommending this. This is like a do not try this at home thing. You didn't hear this from the pastor. And so he had this brilliant idea that you put like the works cleaning solution in a pot bottle and you kind of shake it up and then you just chuck it and it's just supposed to make this huge loud explosion. So I'm not recommending this. So all I remember is this, this hype and the whole night we're talking about this. The end of the night, we're going to make this works bomb explosion. And so all in good fun, of course, is we get it all worked up and there's about six of us standing around. And so we get it ready and we shake it up and then we just chuck it as far as we can into the woods. Uh, as possible, and then we're just kind of standing there waiting, because it's not a sudden thing. It takes a little while for it to fizz and then blow up. So we're sitting there, we're all just like this, and <laughs> it just blows up, and it just creates this massive, huge explosion that sounds like our house just blew up, and we didn't know what it sounded like. This Only the one guy had done it before, and so we were just scared out of our minds, and so what do we do? One guy starts running back into our cabin, <laughs> and so all of us, six guys, just start running in after him, and we're just like running and screaming like little girls, and we're running in, and so <laughs> the first thing that we do is we run in and we all jump into our beds and we put our, and we put our covers over us because of this bomb that we just let off in the woods and then so we're all sitting there and we're like shaking and my heart is pounding a million miles a minute and and you know we have our shoes on and they're sticking out of the covers and we're all sitting there like little boys that are scared and i'm wondering what what are we doing this for like is this gonna like not get us in trouble for this if the cops come or something oh we are in our beds uh i don't i don't understand that but anyway that was that seemed like the logical thing to do, but maybe some of you don't have those sorts of memories of 4th of July, but maybe I'm just weird like that. So uh, my 4th my of July activities have calmed down a little bit uh, since then, and we know that the 4th of July is much more than fireworks and sparklers and blowing things up and lighting things on fire. Uh, we have a reason to be thankful. We have a reason to celebrate the freedom 
that we have as a nation, and, uh, and we do indeed have a reason to, to commemorate that. And so I'm thinking back on this weekend, particularly now this being my first year in Des Moines, and thinking about um, all the, the excitement around Des Moines and the music festivals and the food and the games and the fireworks and the, the grill outs, and I'm sure lots of time spent with family and friends uh, for many of you. And I couldn't help about think about this sense of hope and this sense of joy that it seems that comes a lot easier during times like this than it, when it's January in Iowa. It's, it's easy to be happy. It's easy to have joy during times like this. It's a little bit easier to come by. And I was thinking about that and how in terms of, uh, as followers of Jesus, we're actually commanded in Scripture to pursue joy. It's to pursue joy and hope and to rejoice, and it's, it's a command. It's not just like, well, it's an option. You can have joy in your life. I'm not talking about happiness. I'm talking about joy. It's not really an option. God commands us to have joy. It's something that God desires for us. And so this idea of celebrating rejoicing is not just for the 4th of July or for holidays, but it's actually all throughout the book of Psalms that, that many of you have been reading this summer. We're going through the book of Psalms, uh, the year of the Bible this year, and hoping we're reading through the book of Psalms this summer. Maybe you're noticing that, but um, if you're reading that, you're going to notice over and over and over again this idea of fi- finding joy, of rejoicing, of, of the Psalms saying that you need to shout for joy. And actually, it's at the very end of that passage that Jane just read for us today. So don't miss that in the midst of kind of this dreary, dismal, you know, negative-sounding psalm. Listen to these last two verses. Actually, just in verse 6, we read, Who will come from Mount Zion to rescue Israel? When God restores his people, Jacob will shout with joy, and Israel will rejoice. And so this is talking about God's people, who in that, those days were known as the nation of Israel, or Jacob, whose name actually means Israel. And so it's talking about this joy that they're going to have when the rescuer comes, when the Savior comes. But, and so here we are as God's people today, living in the reality that we know this Savior has come, this rescuer who we know as Jesus that has come for us. And I wonder if we've lost the depth of that joy along the way. And so I want to ask you this morning, particularly on this day, in the midst of this holiday weekend, in the midst of all the happiness and all the celebrations and all the events and all the excitement, and even in all the busyness of your summer, your family vacations, your trips, your grill outs, your parties, all those things that you're doing this summer, in the midst of all that, do you have hope and joy in your life today. Not just positive or or happy feelings about today or or kind of a hope for the days ahead, but deeper than that, do you know the hope and the joy that's rooted in who God is today rather than just the circumstances that life throws your way? And I'm not just talking about a, a hope or a joy that's based simply on feelings of being happy or maybe you have a few good days at work that are strung together and you're like, no, life's going pretty well. I'm not just talking about a joy or a happiness that's based on a certain event or a holiday weekend or even time with friends and family. But the question for us this morning is where have you placed your hope? Where have you placed your joy? Where does it come from? And don't get me wrong, I, I love 
summer. Summer is one of my, my favorite seasons of the year. I love everything about it. And you can't beat a backyard barbecue or outdoor worship and, uh, with, with friends and, and a beautiful fireworks display. You can't beat that. I love summer. But I got to thinking this week, and I just wanted to ask you this question. Have you thought much about the source of all that? Where that comes from? And maybe that there's something much deeper and richer and fuller than just those things that we experience from day to day? Could it be that the the pleasure, the happiness, those experiences that you're having this summer, could it be that those are just tastes, just glimpses of the real thing, of their creator? Back in Psalm 16 earlier this summer, we read, The psalmist writes, You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. God is is speaking and, and, and telling of this joy all throughout the book of Psalms, and he reminds us this morning, he's what we're looking for. He's the the source of all this. All those those good feelings and that happiness and that joy that you've experienced so far this summer. He's the source of that. And if he's saying, if you want to know true joy, if you want to know true peace and true hope, know the God who is joy. Know the God who is hope. In the midst of a summer full of lots of happiness, do you know the one who is joy? Do you have intimacy with Him today? We sang this morning, taste and see that the Lord is good. That's right out of the book of Psalms. That's from Psalm 34. Taste and see that the Lord is good. This is talking about knowing God in an intimate way. Just not knowing about God, but knowing God and experiencing life with Him. One of my favorite authors, C.S. Lewis, once wrote, God cannot give us a happiness and a peace apart from himself because it's not there. There is no such thing. And so God created us to be in this relationship with himself where we can find the source of all this this joy and this happiness that we experience, all these desires that you have, all those things that you love, particularly about summer, He's the source of all that. If you have a desire for something, there's got to be a source for it. There's got to be a creator for the things that are created. We long to be happy. There's not one of us that doesn't want to be happy. We long for pleasure. We long for beauty. Those things stir our heart. And yes, we can experience those things in the world around us, but they're always going to leave us wanting something more. We have a weekend like this, and we say, Oh, Now I have to go back to work on Monday. (laughs) Those things don't last. Maybe there's something deeper. Maybe there's a source for them. And the thing about all those joys and those experiences and those pleasures that you have, those things that bring you the most joy in your life, they're always going to leave you wanting more. And that more is their creator. There's always more with God. There's depths to explore and to know. And so God's story, and in fact our story, is about a God who wants to give us that kind of life. He wants to give us the desires of our heart. He wants to give us joy, and He wants to give us that life. But we also know that that's not the whole story. 
And as with many of the Psalms that hopefully you've been reading through this summer, if there is the good news of a Savior that's come, we find here in Psalm 53 that we read today, there's some bad news too. There's another side to the story. There's some death in need of life. And so there's almost two parts to this psalm. If you've got that in front of you, open up to Psalm 53. There's almost two parts to this psalm. And as in many of the psalms, there's some good stuff and there's some not so good stuff. There's, there's some good news and there's some bad news. There's almost two parts to this psalm. The first being the hope and the joy that's found in God, or in, 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 in this case, the Israelites waiting for a Savior to come. But we find that the main part of this passage of Psalm 53 is about the problem of sin. It's a, it's a result of looking for life apart from God, apart from their source, apart from the Creator. And so this may seem like a review for some of you today, and you're like, geez, John, couldn't you pick a more cheery psalm to preach about? We've got outdoor worship, and it's a bright, sunny day. But in order to have the good news, you have to have the bad news. In order to have hope, you have to have something that you're hoping for or against. If you have joy, there's got to be a chance for there not to be joy or those things don't have the richness and the fullness to them. And so this may seem like a review for some of you, but let it simply be a reminder today of why the good news is good. And so if you've got your Bibles there, look at verses 1 through 3. Our condition as God's people without a rescuer. A savior isn't exactly one filled with hope and joy. If God created us to seek him, Psalm 53 speaks very directly to the seriousness of our sin, of when we walk away from the life that God created us for. God looks down from heaven on the entire human race, not just on some people, not just on the really bad people, on the entire human race. He looks to see if there's anyone who is truly wise, if anyone who seeks God. But no, all have turned away. All have become corrupt. No one does good. Not a single one. You know, if that doesn't cheer your day up, I don't know what does. Now, we can all read that and go, oh, good, wow, I'm sure glad that that's not talking about me. You know, that's, and and that's just all those really sinful, evil, evildoer, horrible people that the Bible talks about. I'm so glad that that's not talking about me. But where a passage like this gets rough is when we turn and we kind of look at ourselves in the mirror and the Bible kind of does that for us. And when we do that, we realize that we're included. We are those people that don't have any hope outside of a Savior. Even with good intentions, we know that when we read God's word and we read about his laws, we haven't followed all his commands. We continue to disobey in many ways. Or maybe you're like I was for the longest time and you're still thinking, you know, I'm actually a pretty good person. I mean, compared to a lot of other people, I'm not that bad. Right? I mean, if you look at all the other people in the world, you look at all the people you hear about in the news and all the horrible things that are going on, you know, I'm not that bad. This psalm, how many of you remember getting graded on a curve? You ever remember in classes, college, high school, you get graded on a curve? This, this psalm, Psalm 53, makes me think about that. When, you're, when you go into the classroom and the teacher says, okay, you're going to be graded on a curve. And I don't know about you, but the first thing I did was that you probably look around and you're, and you're looking and you start to see some people 
that maybe, uh, not to be mean or judge or anything, but maybe they're not the sharpest tools in the shed, right? They're not as smart as you are. And so you kind of look around at this classroom and you're like, okay, I know I'm smarter than them. I know I've done better than them. I know I have better grades than them. And you kind of breathe the sigh of relief, don't you? Because it almost makes you feel better about yourself. And uh, because we know that compared to them, oh, okay, I'm going to be fine and, and I can actually get away with quite a bit. Right? Not all of us. No, okay. That, that was me, in other words. And so the danger is, is that I feel like we can do the same thing with sin. And with passages like Psalm 53. We like to look around and find those people that we think are really evil or bad, and, I, and we think, okay, God's going to judge them, and they're really going to get it someday, and they are so far from God, there's no way that they can believe. But the truth is, God doesn't grade us on a curve. The reason we need a Savior is because God holds us up not to the standard of other people and says, okay, well, line us all up and and I'm going to kind of divide it down the middle and you're all pretty good, so you're going to go to heaven and you're all pretty bad, so you're going to go to hell. God doesn't grade us on a curve. God holds us up to His good and perfect law and God holds us up to His standard. And it doesn't take us long to realize we're guilty and so i'm guessing that from looking at psalm 53 i'm guessing that this isn't a favorite passage for many of you that you weren't meditating on this this morning and being cheered up Uh, but we can't ignore it and we can't forget the reason that we as god's people still need to be rescued if you got your bibles in front of you turn with me to romans chapter 3 romans chapter 3 starting at uh, verse 19. Romans chapter 3, verse 19. And so Paul, who is writing this book to the church of Rome, actually quotes this very psalm that we're talking about today, Psalm 53. And so in chapter 3, verse 19, Paul quotes Psalm 53. He's using it to illustrate his point. And Paul goes on to say this. The law's purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. And so Paul reminds us that we're never going to be good enough. We're never going to love enough. We're never going to serve people enough. We're never going to reach out to people enough. We're never going to be kind enough. We're never going to be spiritual enough to be made right with God. But here's where the good news comes in for us today in relation to the bad news that we seemingly have in front of us in Psalm 53. Listen to what Paul goes on to say in verses 21 through 23. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping any, any of the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. That's the Psalms. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. This broken relationship that we have with God has been made whole. And we can be in a relationship with God, not because we're good enough, but through faith in what Jesus has already done for us. 
So God creates us for this relationship with himself and he gives us his law to show us this is how you're going to live the best life possible. And we go and we break those laws and because of that, we're guilty. God's the one that decides that, not the standards of this world. And so the story could very much end there. If we ended our day with Psalm 53, you'd go home and you're like, wow, that's kind of depressing. But David knew in Psalm 53 of the promised Messiah that would come. And Paul writes of the gifts of this Messiah in the book of Romans. And now comes the good news for you and me. Despite everything that we've done, all the ways that we've walked away from God, He loves us. God loves you this morning. You. God loves you this morning. And in the greatest act of love ever, Jesus comes and takes the punishment for our sin. He, we're guilty, and He comes and He takes our sin and our guilt and our shame and our sorrow, and in exchange, we get joy. We get life. We get hope. Because He loves you that much. And this is, <laughs> this is the most amazing truth. And when we ever have bad news, we have to remember the good news. This is incredible. This is incredible news. The God of the universe loves you. And so this is the hope that Psalm 53 points to. This Jesus who loves you and this Jesus that you can know. Not just know about him, but know him and know him intimately like a father knows his child. The truth is this morning that Jesus did not defeat the power of sin and death and be nailed to a cross just so that we could know about Him. It's so that we could come to know His love that changes everything. We can have joy in the midst of sorrow. We can have hope when we don't know how we're going to make it. Your life is different today because of the rescuer that David speaks of in Psalm 53. That rescuer has come from Zion and he wants to know you even deeper today. He wants you to know him. Now I was thinking this week about all the joys and the pleasures, the simple pleasures that we have during the summer months and I couldn't help but think about my very favorite cool beverage continuing on the pop theme this morning. Dr. Pepper. Two people like it. Thank you. Amazingly smooth now with cherry. Did you know that they added extra cherry? Isn't cherry one of the main ingredients to Dr. Pepper already? Well, this has extra cherry, so I bought some of this last week. And I was thinking about this, and I wanted to share with you a little bit this morning about Dr. Pepper. Dr. Pepper is the oldest soft drink in America. Did you know that? Maybe you didn't. It was first developed in a drugstore in Waco, Texas. Shortly after, it was introduced to millions of visitors at the 1904 World's Fair in St. Louis. Huh. And shortly after, it became a national phenomenon. I'm going to read you some of the nutrition information here about Dr. Pepper. It says 160 calories in it. 0% 0% fat, 60 milligrams of sodium, 43 carbs, 41 grams of sugar, and zero protein. But we won't talk about that. 
Contains carbonated water, high fructose corn syrup, and 2% or less of caramel color, natural and artificial flavor, sodium benzenate preservative, citric and phosphoric acid, caffeine, malic acid, sodium phosphate, red 40, manufactured by an affiliate of the American Bottling Company under the authority of the Dr. Pepper Company, Plano, Texas, 2009 Dr. Pepper, caffeine content, 39 milligrams. Do you care about any of that? Yes. Good. One, one of you does. <laughs> for, the, <laughs> for the majority of us... You could really care less about that. And when you think about Dr. Pepper, when you think about your favorite beverage or you think about your favorite thing to do, it's not so much that that you care about. The makers of Dr. Pepper, Mr. and Mrs. Pepper, did not create this wonderful beverage so that we could know about it. And Jody had some luck, and we'll see if I have luck. Mr. and Mrs. Pepper did not create this beverage so that we could know about it. They created this beverage so that we could know it. I can't do the whole thing. I'm going to be burping for the rest of the service. Remember that song we sang, Taste and See that the Lord is Good? Could it be that all those joys and those pleasures that we have, whether it's Dr. Pepper or whether it's an evening with those you love, could it be that all those things are pointing to something greater? You are invited today to taste and see that the Lord is good. And so I want to ask you today, are you looking for joy? Know the one who is joy. Are you looking for hope? Know the one who is hope. And then live that kind of life so that others may know. City Branch, I pray that this week that our lives would look radically different so that no matter where you go and no matter what you do this week, people will look at our lives. People will look at your life and they'll say, I want that. They may not fully understand it. They may not know everything that you believe. You may not have even opened your mouth. But I pray that when people look at our lives, they'll see that joy and they'll see that hope that's deeper than just the circumstances that this life throws at us. That people will look at your life and say, I want that. And then as we're reminded in 1 Peter, always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks for the hope that lives inside of you for the hope that you have. This is when we start to be the church. Lutheran Church of Hope. And we start to make that a reality and not just the name of our church. When the one who is hope and the one who is joy lives through you and other people experience the goodness of God through you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand together.